Welcome to the Pharmacy Quality Solutions Quality Corner Show, where we talk quality of healthcare and explore what that actually means. Let's dig into performance measurements, the equipped platform, pharmacy goals, and personal goals. We will also occasionally cover topical healthcare news and maybe throw into the conversation a few of our own nerdy passions and hobbies. So turn us up. The Quality Corner Show starts now. Hello, Quality Corner Show listeners. This is your host, Nick Dorich, and we welcome you to the next episode of the Quality Corner Show. In a recent episode, number 35, we spoke with Jake Galdo from the Pharmacy Quality Alliance, or PQA, about a new online CE dedicated to medication use quality. That immediately became one of my favorite episodes that we've recorded on the show thus far. While we often talk about performance measures and what we can do, it's important to highlight resources that help us stay educated. It becomes very difficult to improve if we are not learning, and this new course from PQA can help pharmacy team members expand their quality improvement process. For today's show, I'm excited to have PQA back to provide us a little history lesson on quality improvement and the importance of quality improvement process. If your pharmacy is committed to quality improvement, it's imperative that you understand applicable measures, continue to learn about how to improve your practice, and of course, to have a clear commitment to the quality improvement process. Our guest from PQA will help us talk about this journey. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome PQA team members, Mel Nelson and Patrick Campbell for their first appearances on the Quality Corner Show. Hello. Hi. Hi. Excited to be here. Great. For me, uh, it's great to have both of you on the show, and it was nice to see your names printed in the Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy for their July 2020 issue. Um, And that's the reason why we are having both of you on the show today, so we can talk about this great article uh, titled Traversing the Quality Chasm, Revisiting the Framework for Pharmacy Services Quality Improvement. Before we dive into this, however, I'd like to have both of you have the chance to introduce yourselves and provide a little bit of information about your roles within PQA. Sure. Thanks, Nick. And hi, everyone. I'm Mel Nelson, Director of Research and Operations at PQA. And I've been with PQA for the last four and a half years or so. Uh, But prior to that, I was with the University of Arizona College of Pharmacy. And there, I conducted quality improvement research for several years. So quality improvement is definitely one of my passion areas. And I was so thrilled, Nick, when you reached out and uh, invited us to this podcast. Uh, So I look forward to our conversation. But first, let me turn it over to my colleague and co-author, Patrick. Thanks, Mel. And hi, everyone. My name is Patrick Campbell, and I serve as PQA's Senior Director of Research. In this role, I lead PQA's research team and oversee our research portfolio that generates medication use quality evidence. I'm a pharmacist and a health outcomes research scientist. And prior to joining PQA, I served as part of a research team where I conducted health economics and outcomes research studies and practiced as a community pharmacist for several years. And Nick, I'll echo Mel. Thanks for inviting us to share more about our reflection on quality improvement in pharmacy. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah. Mel and Patrick, thanks again. I'm really excited to have both of you on here uh, for the first time. I'm sure it won't be the last time, and I know you've got a lot of great information to share with our audience. Uh, So we'll go right ahead and we're gonna move into our questions for this week's podcast because I think there's a lot for us to cover. The quality improvement framework has no shortage of things to discuss and as it is a continuous process, 
And while more measurement helps us understand quality, it also gives us more homework, so to say, for us to complete so that we can help transform our practice. I'm gonna refer again to your most recent publication, which was the uh, titled Traversing the Quality Chasm, Revisiting the Framework for Pharmacy Services Quality Improvement. Uh, you mentioned in that article, that, uh, or in that publication, that an article published nearly two decades ago, and this one that we're referencing from two decades ago, is the Framework for Pharmacy Services Quality Improvement, a bridge to cross the quality chasm, uh, that that publication, that it continues to be relevant and could even apply to our current healthcare system. What do you think has been the biggest hurdle for pharmacy over the last 15 or 20 years that has limited more progress in quality? So that article, again, uh, you were looking at a little bit of a response from that article published 15, 20 years ago, and that's led into some of the discussion. So Patrick, I'm going to hand it off to you to get started. Um, what, what have been those biggest hurdles for pharmacy? Yeah, that's a, a great question, and thank you for it. Um, I'll start with saying that the path to quality is one that is constantly evolving, especially as technologies and advancements are introduced. And I personally subscribe to the thought that quality improvement truly is continuous. And I think it's important to keep in mind that the original paper that described the framework for quality improvement in pharmacy was published before the Medicare Part D program was launched, before electronic prescriptions were commonplace, and of course, before pharmacists were in stores delivering immunizations. And from that time until now, there have been many advances and success stories for pharmacy. And there are some initiatives that we're still working through and are still barriers today to advance quality in pharmacy. So I would just say that as the role of pharmacy continues to evolve, there are sure to be some hurdles that we're very familiar with that have been commonplace over all of these years, like access to data. And I'm sure that there are many barriers that we have not even been faced with yet, that we wouldn't even conceive um, since those activities and advancements have not actually occurred. I would agree. And what I found most interesting while I was reflecting on our profession for this article is that a number of the key issues and improvement opportunities that were highlighted in the original article have been a feature of our profession for some time. Um, I'm sure we'll touch a bit on several of those in this podcast, but I'll highlight one hurdle here in response to your question, Nick, and that's the ability to bill for clinical services which is challenging without pharmacist provider status. It was brought up in the article 15, 20 years ago, and it's also still a major focus for our profession. And, and that's a major challenge as well because these non-dispensing clinical pharmacy activities have been shown to really move the needle on quality. Um, discussed in the 2004 article were collaborative practice agreements, which we're familiar with today. And as a profession, I think we continue to get creative in how we approach this challenge by engaging in innovative value-based uh, care agreements as well, which we'll touch on a bit later, I'm sure. Uh, but I'll pause here and um, turn it back over to Patrick. Sure, yeah, so I agree with you, Mel. And I would say, like, if I had to choose one hurdle that really has been the, the most consistent challenge over the last 15 or so years, I would say it's access to information and access to data. Um, we know that pharmacists can make a huge impact on patient outcomes and dramatically improve medication safety if they have the right information. There have been numerous researchers who have shown how significant it can be if we equip pharmacists with the right information. Things like indications for the medication or conditions that the person has, or even their most recent lab results. These all can significantly influence how a pharmacist interacts with that patient 
and can make actions to improve the quality of care for that individual. Yet accessing information is still a significant barrier to quality. Even with the advancements of things like electronic prescriptions, where there are built-in fields to share diagnosis codes, many of those prescriptions do not contain that information, even though it could significantly improve a pharmacist's ability to provide high-value care. Mel and, and Patrick, thanks for going through some of these details already. I. Uh, am not frequently at a loss of words or without much to add uh, for a different topic, but I, I think you've hit here on many of the main items. Uh, it starts with data and so much of the larger healthcare picture where providers are involved, they, it's based on access to information about that patient's medical record, uh, being able to utilize that for determining an action plan with however they are managing the patient, and being also able to create their particular action plan for the patient. Um, for pharmacy, that has continued to be a struggle, and there's a number of ways that we can continue to work for that, or that we should be continuing to work for that. Uh, at this point, I would say it's really important, whether you're a pharmacist, whether you're a member of a pharmacy organization, uh, whether you're a pharmacy advocate or some other group that's tied in with pharmacy operations, you need to be, we, we all need to be working towards that, that better that better approach to the pharmacy can provide care. And I would say as well that that also extends from the patient experience, right? If the patient's not getting the full aspect of um, the pharmacy care that they could be getting, they're the one that's losing out on that the most. So it really is gonna continue to be a team effort to get us there. Patrick, I'm gonna go back to something that uh, you had mentioned in, and as I read in the publication, community pharmacists were continuing to face these challenges and a lot of focus on the medical records. My question is gonna be twofold for the both of you. Part of this means that pharmacies need to evolve and adapt so they can manage and complete medical records for the patients. The other aspect is that quality improvement programs and quality measures must also show the impact of pharmacist individual efforts to improve patient health. Would you agree that this is an opportunity for pharmacy payers and then measure developers as well to improve so that we can better capture the impact of, this, of these pharmacy services? Absolutely. And I would argue it's not only an opportunity, but it's a need. A need for payers and pharmacies to come together on this topic. With the right data sources, we can not only describe what these models of pharmacist-provided care are in a more robust way, but we can also evaluate the impact of these models by linking pharmacy care interventions to patient outcomes as well as financial outcomes. I have no doubts that we would learn tremendous amounts of information by piloting programs to understand data streams, identify best practices, and evaluate the return of investment of these pharmacy-led initiatives. And I do feel that that work will undoubtedly provide robust insights as we continue to develop pharmacy quality measures that can be used in these value-based payment programs. I would agree. And I would say, I think our healthcare system is certainly experiencing a great amount of collaboration and innovation in the space currently. Um, in fact, uh, PQA recently released a, a press release announcing a partnership with a health plan, a community pharmacy chain, and a life sciences group to evaluate the impact of pharmacist-provided care on medication use, as well as clinical and economic outcomes in patients with diabetes. So this, I, I think this initiative really aims to do just what you mentioned, bring together national leaders in pharmacy, care delivery, medications, and health plan administration and so on to really demonstrate the value of collaboration among healthcare sectors in the delivery of patient-centered care 
And I think this is an area that PQA on a whole is very passionate about and we're perfectly poised to engage in with our multi-stakeholder membership base. Thanks, Mel and Patrick. And uh, Mel, appreciate your reference as well to the partnership that PQA had recently referenced. Uh, many of our listeners are, are going to uh, remember or, or recall that a few episodes ago for PQS, we talked about a program with uh, Humana and diabetes management for patients, right? So better involvement of pharmacies with payers around more outcomes-based measures and, and patient care beyond some intermediate measures, it's coming along. And where there continues to be a struggle, I see, is that documentation piece between the pharmacy and the payer. Uh, it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg uh, situation, or it, it, I've heard it from others also described as a bit of the field of dreams scenario, um, where you know if you build it, they will come. Uh, not all pharmacy groups have the capability with that documentation. And one of the earliest things that I learned in pharmacy school, Patrick and Mel, you may be able to confirm this for, from your pharmacy school experiences, one of the earliest things that I learned was that if it's not documented, it never happened. Now, maybe the context there was a little bit different, but when it comes to managing patients, patient health outcomes in this regard, um, that lesson is still very important. So uh, what we're going to do now, I'm going to switch to our, our next and our third question uh, for the group here. I've, again, appreciated this. While, we're, while your publication looked at 20, almost 20 years of progress and opportunities that are still to be made, we still have more work to get done. With the switch to value-based care, uh, patients must remain at the center of these considerations. Uh, so where my mind is going, moving forward with these quality care initiatives, what do you think about the future of values-based care and what will it look like for patients? What changes may patients begin to see in healthcare settings within the next few years as these systems start to take place more? Uh, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the pharmacy, pharmacy perspective, the quality improvement process, but ultimately we're doing this all for the patients and the patients have an expectation on the care they're receiving. So for Patrick and Mel, if you don't mind, would love to have you dive into that topic and, and help us understand how the patients may experience that change. Yeah, and a fantastic question. Um, I think it's always important to recenter why we're doing what we're doing in this space. And of course, making sure that patients are getting the care that they need um, is of course central to our mission. Um, I would say that one of the greatest areas of opportunity in the value-based care arena is for the ability to meaningfully capture patient feedback. Um, I would envision a future where patient information is more routinely captured, including a heightened focus on patient reported outcomes that capture health-related quality of life, signs and symptoms of conditions, patient activation or empowerment, as well as satisfaction with the services themselves. And the integration of standardized patient reported outcome measures in routine care is an area that I feel has tremendous opportunity moving forward. And we see a lot of interest um, developing in this area on figuring out meaningful pathways to capture and integrate patient reported data using apps, surveys, wearable devices, but wanting to balance that with not overburdening the patient with filling out surveys and too much burden of capturing that data. So I think that patient reported outcome data is one area that I think is gonna be key moving forward to make sure that patient outcomes are central. Another area that I would say, um, which I think has really been very prominent in discussions lately, um, is a focus on social determinants of health 
and aligning our healthcare system to meet patients where they are and promote health equity. And I would not be surprised at all to see more patient-centered value-based care initiatives that demands collaboration across various groups, including prescribers, pharmacies, payers, so that we are really centering on what patient care is overall and really promoting health equity. Thanks, Patrick. And I think the importance here for patients is, is really the key. We've seen some of that updated from CMS and their approach this year with COVID that there's more interest in some of the patient surveys and patient responses. There's always a question on are, you, are, are groups like CMS getting back enough patient surveys? Do patients take those responses? And, and while healthcare providers, while uh, payers are looking for more information, there's absolutely a role as well for providers like pharmacists to be an integral part to make sure this information uh, is collected, it's aggregated, so we can have a better patient experience. For me, that's, it's, a, and it's an interesting aspect for pharmacy because while that itself is not a clinical aspect of care, it is 100% essential to understanding the patient experience and their care, um, so how we can better improve that. So that I, I, for me, it's going to be really interesting to see how we integrate that into the pharmacy experience for patients uh, and how pharmacy can really be an advocate for patients because we know patients see their pharmacist more than they do any other healthcare provider. We have to utilize each and every one of those experiences for a meaningful healthcare interaction. All right. Well, with that, we're going to close up on finishing our chat for, for today. And for Patrick and Mel, I really appreciate it. This has been a pleasure for me to hear your thoughts. Um, again, for our listeners, I'd go ahead and, and uh, make sure you go back and, and look at the publication, give it a read for yourself as well. Uh, change and quality improvement go hand in hand. They're not necessarily easy, but they are necessary. Given the landscape for the 2020 calendar year, which is inter which has been an interesting year to say the least, where else do you think pharmacists might be able to learn more about quality improvement in pharmacy practice? In a normal year, there would be plenty of conferences and events and seminars that pharmacists could attend and engage with thought leaders, other pharmacists that are trying some innovative approaches. Obviously, Patrick and Mel, you can refer pharmacists to the PQA Medication Use Education Program. Uh, that Jake spoke about uh, on this podcast previously, but how else do we share best practices? This really seems like a time where we need to innovate how we improve, and that includes how we're communicating about improving and how we're learning. How do we help create that situation where, despite the difficulties, we're, we're creating a situation where rising tides lift all boats? Sure, Nick. I'm glad you asked that question. I'll go ahead and address it from a personal perspective uh, by sharing some of my experiences and then I'll turn it over to Patrick to kind of end, up, end us off on a broader perspective. Um, so for me, I find there's certainly a lot of continuing education and professional development opportunities in this space. Uh, for example, I currently hold a certification as a healthcare quality professional or a CPHQ. And that's a program that offers a deep dive into all the knowledge that you would need to conduct quality improvement. Um, it exposes you to healthcare quality as a whole. And I also did complete the certificate program that you mentioned in medication use quality just last week. And what was interesting about that is as we continue to move through our strange year of 2020, we're getting more and more creative about how we make these activities interactive. 
And so the cap of that certificate program was an interactive session where we were on camera and discussing our proposed quality improvement ideas that we had for various healthcare settings. And I would say the same for conferences as well. Uh, as we continue to move through the year, they're continuing to evolve and allow more networking and interactive aspects. So I wouldn't shy away from the conferences either. Um, but I'll pause there. I'll remind listeners that they can find PQA's uh, certificate program at pqa.ceimpact, that's all one word, .com. And then um, I'll just mention before I turn it over to Patrick that we do also have a number of other educational and engagement activities coming up later this year, so keep an eye out. Our blog is located at pqaalliance.org slash blog, and our Twitter account, uh, both of those things are two easy ways to stay on top of our upcoming events, so I, I hope I'll see all of you listeners there. And Patrick, I'll turn it over to you to, to give a broader perspective to kind of end us off. Sure, thanks Mel, um, and thanks Nick for, for the great question. Um, I think as we're trying to innovate how we improve and how we can help lift, um, lift all of the boats with the rising tide, I think it really comes down to developing a strong evidence base. Um, and that's how we will really traverse the quality chasm. And what I mean by that is I, I, just, I would encourage everyone actively engaging in an innovative program or pilot study of pharmacist-provided care to make a commitment to share successes and lesson learns from these programs. Sharing information about these programs, what pharmacists are doing in peer-reviewed articles, participating in webinars or podcasts like this, writing blogs or white papers, even sharing tweets, and any other form of communication and dissemination, all of these are critically important. Having a robust evidence base that clearly defines pharmacy services and their programs, and how those services and programs link to outcomes will greatly support the role of pharmacists in quality and ultimately enabling pharmacists to provide higher quality care for our patients. So it really comes down to singing it from the mountaintops, getting up and sharing your news about what you've been doing. Singing it from the mountaintops, Patrick, that might be a good socially distant way as well, where you've got more space, at least six feet of space between people. So that could work really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Patrick, and Mel, I really appreciate both your thoughts on the information here. And um, something I would point out for our listeners is that there, you mentioned both formal ways about education, informal ways about education, and then formal and informal ways that we can share. I think that's really important because we, we want to make sure that we're hitting every audience. And there are some out there that are going to want to be adding um, you know, letters, credentials to their names, like the CPHQ that you referenced, Mel. Um, there's some people that are going to be interested in that, and maybe they need that guidance to go in that direction. Um, there's going to be other people, Patrick, you mentioned it's very, it's perhaps one of the most simple things that you can do in 2020, since we're at home um, and on our mobile devices a lot more. It's just to retweet good information. You know, there, it's, you can retweet some good information, be it either good peer review information or just talking about provider status. That's been picked up more and more, especially as it relates to some of the COVID bills that are out there. So um, I think it's important for all of us engage in some of that rigorous, more formal experience. But even then, just the simple stuff or just those simple experiences that you can do, it's very easy to do in some appropriate ways via social media, but it's also just really easy to talk with your patients in the pharmacy. Um, are they contacting their legislator about how pharmacists can be used during the COVID pandemic? Those are all just little things that can put us into a better position. 
Before we go, I do have one final item. And if our listeners do have any questions for the both of you, um, Mel and Patrick, what's the best way for them to get in touch uh, with you and with the PQA organization? Sure, I'll take that. I'd say if listeners have questions for us or anyone at PQA, reach out to the uh, main inbox, which is info at pqaalliance.org. That way we can triage it to the best staff member equipped to answer your question. And Nick, I just wanted to thank you and thank PQS for inviting myself and Patrick to talk with you today. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. I really thank both of you for, um, you know, first of all, the the work on your publication, the review of pharmacy and the quality CASM report. Um, it is important for us to go back and look and it's okay for us to be a little bit critical and identify where we haven't had progress as much as we would like, right? It's important that we note and that we celebrate victories and the good things that have changed, but when that change isn't happening or not happening as quickly as it should, it becomes essential for all of us to help make that change happen. So I think both of you with the publication, it's an important topic and it's a great conversation for us to have. Um, so Mel, Patrick, in conclusion here, I thank both of you for coming on the show today, for representing PQA, and for discussing your publication with us. Quality improvement in the healthcare industry has greatly evolved over the last 15 to 20 years, um, but there's still more work to do. As technology improves and patient-focused initiatives continue to thrive, I believe that metrics measuring quality improvement in the pharmacy setting will continue to increase as well. Before we wrap up today, I want to remind our listeners, check out PQA's medication use education resources. Also, check out the PQS educational library, which can be found in Equip or on our YouTube channel. Luckily for you, our YouTube channel includes videos, which includes other members of PQS staff. That means you can hear from other experts aside from just myself. I hope you take the message for today's podcast to heart and that it helps to drive your passion for quality improvement and to make meaningful changes with your in quality improvement process. And as always, we have one final message for you, our listening audience of the Quality Corner Show. Our team here at PQS has a couple of favors to ask of you, our podcast listener. First, we encourage you to share this podcast with two friends, because if you share this with two friends and each of them shares it with two friends, it really helps us hit a larger listening audience. Second, we also want to take a moment to remind you to subscribe to the podcast wherever you may find it. And then if you have any questions or topics you would like us to address, please contact us. The best way to do so is to email info at pharmacyquality.com. Let us know what is on your mind and what we can address so that you are fully informed. Our goal is to continuously improve our podcast content and to provide meaningful information to our listeners based on current topics in healthcare, technology, and quality measurement. We want to help you become as effective as possible in how you care for patients and improve public health outcomes. So until next time, we wish you well.